I am excited to be starting um, week number two of this series. Um, I, I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about. Um, we are actually doing a, a study that is something that Cole and I learned from one of our mentors. Um, and this mentor actually passed away uh, earlier this year, uh, earlier in 2023, but what he taught continues to point people towards Jesus, and we are super excited to be teaching you something that we have learned from him. Um, So last week, we looked at the first half of chapter one of Mark's gospel, and we told you that really, um, we believe that Mark was recording Peter's firsthand account. We know Mark was there for some of that too, but his firsthand eyewitness account. Um, so let me let me start off this way this morning. I know when I look at Facebook and like the news stories that come through Facebook, I know when I look at the headlines, when I look at anything that related around news, it really seems to be all bad news, doesn't it? It just does. It seems to be bad news, but it's not bad news anything really compared to the length of bad news that first century Israel had continued to have because they had been dominated by other countries for hundreds and hundreds of years. So their headlines, their bad news was every day for hundreds and hundreds of years. It seemed like there was no hope, but they did have hope because they had a promise that they were hanging on to. And the promise said this, that God was going to send them a deliverer, a Messiah, and this Messiah was going to be a king. And it is into this context, into all this bad news, that Jesus shows up here on earth. And that's where we started last week when we said Mark began by saying it began. That's where it all started. And so Mike, uh, not Mike, Mark then records how Jesus is baptized by a guy named John the Baptizer. And at that moment, some really amazing things happen. All three co-authors of life, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, they all show up in person at the baptism of Jesus. It's actually quite spectacular. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because with this series, all the way up to Easter, really, it's going to be a couple different series we do, but every week builds upon the next. I would encourage you to go back and catch up with that. So Mark tells us that this eyewitness account, they hear the voice of God the Father at the baptism of Jesus, and then they see the Spirit settling upon Jesus like a dove. Now, so far in Mark's account, we're in the first chapter, so far we have yet to hear anything from Jesus, any words from Jesus, but that changes right now because we're in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, and here's what happens. It says, later on, after John, this is John the baptizer, was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Here's what he said, verse 15. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. This is Jesus speaking. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So the first time that we hear Mark describing the voice of Jesus, this is what we hear. He says, repent of your sins and believe 
the good news. Now, this word repent, that's a word that we're used to hearing in the church world. It's a churchy world, but it has not always been a churchy word. The word repent just simply means to turn around from something and to turn towards something else. So you're you're headed one direction and you turn around and you head another direction towards something else. That's what it means. It's not a churchy world at all. But when this word is used in the new covenant, like we just read, to repent in the new covenant always means to turn away from the things that Jesus hates in order to turn toward the things he loves. And in this case, he said, repent of your sins. Okay? He hates sin. He wants you to turn from that and turn toward him. And then he says, and believe the good news. So let's pause there for a moment. Have you ever wondered why exactly is it called the good news? Good news, literally, the word used in scripture literally means news that brings joy. It's really a headline is what it is. It's a headline. But this phrase goes way beyond today's headlines and just today's top story. This phrase, good news, means it's history-shaping news, life-changing news. And while today also the word gospel is something that we usually only hear in church in a religious context, the word gospel wasn't a religious word at all. Let me give you an example. While Mark was alive, around the time he was writing this biography, while Mark was alive, there was a publication that started with this phrase. Here was the headline. The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. That's a true true thing. It, It was the news story. It was the good news of the birth and the coronation of this Roman emperor. It was the gospel. That gospel, it was grand news. A gospel is always some kind of big news on such a grand scale that it changes things in a huge way. It makes a massive difference in the lives of people. There was a Greek example. Let me, let me tell you this. So um, uh, while the Greeks were ruling, there was a mighty battle that was fought, and the Greeks won that battle. And so here's what the Greeks did. In that region where that battle was fought and won, they, would, they sent out heralds or evangelists, and they sent them all through the region shouting out the good news, the gospel, to all of these cities. And here's what they said those heralds, those evangelists traveled city to city and they said, we have fought for you and we have won and now you are no longer slaves, you are free. They were spreading their gospel. It was life-altering good news. Here's something else about gospel. A gospel is always something, it's an announcement about something that has already happened. It has already been done for you. It is something now that is in history. It has been completed. It has been finished. And because of it, your future, the person who's hearing this, this gospel, their their future has been changed forever. 
So another example, the angel that's mentioned in the biography, the Gospel of Luke, is simply a herald, is simply an evangelist who is sent and saying, truly, truly, good news has arrived for all people, and it's about the birth of Jesus. That is the good news. That's a gospel. Something that had already happened. And here we have now, in our own records, in what we call Scripture, in the Bible, we have the account of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, all eyewitnesses bringing us this good news that has already happened, and it has changed history forever. Think about it with me. Every other religion, every other religion in the world, including humanism, It can all be boiled down to this, just simple advice. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to do things in order to be happy. Here's how you do it. It's just simple advice, but Christianity is different. Christianity is not advice. Christianity is news. It's news that has changed history forever. It's news about something that has happened, and it changes everything. So while everything else around us shouts advice about what you have yet to do in order to earn your way to God or or in order to earn your, your higher place or higher standing or in order to earn your happiness, no, 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 the gospel, the news says this, this is what has already been done for you. This is how Jesus, who is God, lived and died and rose again to earn the way to God for you. Christianity isn't about advice. It's not about advice how to get to God. No, no, no. It is joyful news to all people about what God has already done for you. And that makes Christianity absolutely different from every single thing that has come before and everything that has come since. You see, those standards that other religions are governed by, those standards don't free you. They actually weigh you down. A checklist of rules is not the gospel. That's not the good news of Jesus Christ. This gospel, told by the eyewitnesses, announces that God connects to you, not on the basis of what you do for Him, but solely on the basis of what Jesus has already done for you. And that makes this totally different from every other religion, every other philosophy that's out there. And that's what makes it good news for all people. Now, you might have noticed that I actually didn't start with the first thing Jesus said here. I started with what Jesus said when he said, repent and believe the good news. I actually skipped the first thing that he said, so let's run back and pick that up. Here's what he said first. The kingdom of God is near. Then he said, repent and believe the good news. So let's talk about the kingdom of God for a moment. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Now, this is not creation's first experience with the kingdom of God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we're told that God the Father, the co-authors of life, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they co-authored a kingdom for us to live in where relationships were whole, where relationships were psychologically and socially perfect. 
A life where we experience creation the way God intended us to experience creation. And God is king of that kingdom. It was a perfect story. Because God authored it, God designed it, He created it Himself. But that story, we know, took a turn. Because Adam and Eve did not trust God's story. So instead, they began to write their own story. And it was a self-centered story, making themselves the king. And since Genesis chapter 3, every chapter that has ever been written in human history has been telling their own stories of self-centeredness. Billions and billions of little kings all throughout the earth all trying to force every other relationship to serve them and to orbit around them. And absolutely nothing, nothing makes you more miserable. Nothing makes you less interesting. Nothing makes you less like God than self-centeredness. A self-centered story actually turns everyone against you. It, It makes you the villain where you have to constantly gauge, how do I measure up against that person? It creates a life of us overthinking everything and all of our relationships, wondering what other people think about us, because after all, we're in the center. We're thinking about, hey, are they, are they treating me right? How are they treating me? Am I being treated fairly? Am, am I getting what I deserve, what I think I should have? And all of that places me in the center of my own story with the rest of the world rotating, revolving around me. And when we decide to be our own king, the world around us falls apart. When we decide to be king, wars break out, ethnic groups fight, families break down, relationships explode, genocide, suicide, infanticide, hate, anger, murder, jealousy, all selfishness. When we decide, to be our own center in life, everything implodes physically, socially, spiritually, psychologically. When we left God's kingdom and God's story, and we began to write our own story where we are the kings, the headlines became nothing but chaos. And deep, deep, deep down inside, we all long to be invited back. We all want to be written back into God's story. We want to experience a world where the good guy wins, right? Where love finds a way. The princess is rescued from the tower. The underdog overcomes. We want to hear Rudy, 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 right? And those stories... We, we watch those movies. We love those stories. That's why we love fairy tales. Because we have this deep longing and hope. Someday, will come. Right? We, ho- we hope for a new king to ride in on his white horse where he will fight the battle. He will rescue her. He will lead her back to a, to a story that ends with everything being made right and we will all live happily ever after. And get this, what we just heard Jesus say is Jesus saying this, headline, headline, read all about it. 
Here's the good news. That's great joy for all people. The kingdom of God is this, and the kingdom of God is near. And my friends, Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Because under his authority, everything is going to put back the way it should have been. And everything is going to begin to heal, and the earth will heal, and lives will heal, and relationships will heal. And Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is near. So we need to stop chasing after whatever it is that we have been wanting and trying to chase after instead of Him. And He says, repent and believe the good news. The good news of the kingdom of God, that this world that God has written that it into existence in His story will be renewed, so renewed that it will last forever one day. And when that happens, for everyone making it into His kingdom, they will say, yes, this is the land I've been looking for my whole life. This is the kingdom that I was created to live in, where I belong. This is the story that I have longed for my entire life. And Mark and Peter are eyewitnesses of Jesus announcing that good news, that his kingdom is getting close. Wow. Right after that happens, Mark describes how Jesus then goes out and Jesus selects 12 men to be the core of his followers in this kingdom. Now, there will be more followers, many, many more followers, but these 12 will make up the core. These are the first. Now, in October, we just finished a series where we talked about how Jesus went to these 12 and he told them, he said, follow me. Now, in the first century, that's not how a rabbi got his disciples. In the first century, that's not how it happened. Uh, A student would work up the courage in the first century to ask a rabbi if he would be allowed to follow that rabbi. This is different. This is different. The eyewitnesses describe that you can't have a relationship with this rabbi unless he invites you. And when each was invited by Jesus, Each of these guys, they left their boats, they left their nets, they left their tax booths, they left their parents, they left their families, they left their careers, and they followed Jesus. These men left everything that was where they got their identity from their stories. They left all of that and they followed Jesus who was saying, if you want to follow me, Jesus, into my kingdom, you will make me the priority, Jesus the priority, over your family, over your interests, over everything. Now, when we think about leaving our family, that may not shock us too much because we're a pretty individualistic culture. We are born here in the United States to eventually leave our families. Eventually, but not in this culture. No, 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 no. Family was everything to them in this culture. They did not leave their families. They did not leave their communities. That was their life. It was their identity. To leave that behind for them would have been the scariest thing imaginable. But for us, as we look at what they left behind, for us, maybe we can relate to more more 
to the scariness of them leaving their boats and their nets and their jobs behind. Walking away from our security in order to follow Jesus. Now, now that's scary for us. And Jesus was saying that too to them. He said, I want to even be the priority over your career. That scares us to death. But in his kingdom, knowing him, serving him, becoming more like him, he was saying, Jesus was saying, comes become our absolute passion. Everything else comes second. Jesus is crystal clear. That's the kingdom of God, where Jesus is king and I am not. And that is good news, Jesus says, for all people. But as we listen to that, as we read over that to us, we're like, that sounds like a bunch of fanatics to me. See, in our American way of thinking, we have this scale of appropriateness. <laughs> On one end of the spectrum over here, we've got the end of people. It's not that they don't care. It is, I mean, it's not that they don't care. It's just... It, you know, they, 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 they believe some things, but they, they don't really care about it. They don't care anything about it. I mean, they might believe some things about Jesus, but they just don't really care to pursue him or follow him. And we look at that extreme and we say, wait, 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 that's not appropriate. Because it does demand something to follow Jesus. You can't just mentally agree that he exists and do nothing in your life. It, it demands something. So we say that's inappropriate. And then we look all the way over here, this other end, this other end where we have the extremist in following Jesus. They're the fanatics. I mean, they're over the top. You know who I'm talking about. That's not appropriate either, we say. So that's not appropriate. This is not appropriate. But we say in America, we say, but right here, right here in the big fat middle. Oh, yeah. This is where it's appropriate. Ah, this middle. It's safe. It's appropriate. We do all things following Jesus in moderation, right? But here's the deal. Is that the good news of Jesus? Is that the good news that, that Jesus was announcing about his kingdom? Moderation in all things, balance in all things, appropriateness in all things? Does Jesus actually look around and say, hey, listen, most of you can be moderate. Most of you, that's going to be okay. Safe right there in the middle. But in this story, Jesus saying, in this story that I'm going to create, I am going to need a few of you who really want to go all in with this discipleship thing. No. Jesus doesn't even hint at that. Jesus, in fact, is saying anyone, if anyone wants to have anything to do with me and my kingdom, if anyone wants to be a part of this story that I'm co-authoring, now listen, these are the words of Jesus, not Marison. My idea, he says, if anyone wants to be a part, by comparison, you have to hate your father and your mother, your wife and your children, brother and sister. And yes, he says, you even have to hate your very own life or you cannot be my disciple. The eyewitnesses were absolutely clear. That is what it means to follow Jesus, the king. You see, to approach a king any other way means that you have become the center again. And you're trying to force Jesus, God, the king, to orbit around your life. 
And Jesus is clear. He will not negotiate with you. And he will not be used to get you what you want. When he calls you to follow him, he must become your utmost goal. It's not about what you want him to do for you. Now let's zoom out just a little bit. So we've already said religion is just advice on how you must learn, uh, live to earn your way to God. In religion, it is your job to follow advice to the best of your ability. And that even happens when Christianity becomes a religion. And if you follow it faithfully, then you think that it gives you some kind of special connection with God because you live right and you believe right. But you know what the outcome of that is with all that right living and all that right believing? If it's a religion, you begin to feel better than the people who are believing wrong or living wrong which makes you begin to feel superior, which makes you feel more of an insider, which naturally makes you keep at distance, an arm's length distance from the outsiders. And you become very inward focused. And before long, you're excluding others and them. And eventually you're hating them. And when it goes on long enough, one day you're oppressing them. Many of us in Stuttgart Harvest Church and over at the church in Malvern, many of us have been judged by them, those Christians. And we have been rejected by them. And we have been excluded by them because of how right they live and how how closely they've been following the advice of their Christian religion. In fact, some of us at some point in our life may have been them. But here's the real problem. Hang on to your armrest. Buckle that theater seat belt. Here's the problem. Those Christians, they haven't gone far enough. Jesus said to be fanatically like Him. And they're nothing like Him. Because they're not loving like he is. They're not humble like he is. Have you ever thought about this? When you look in the first century, all those sinners who looked nothing like Jesus loved Jesus. And all those religion followers who looked most like Jesus hated Jesus. Oh, they stopped way, way, way short of living like him. All Christians who have traded that for a religion, they traded Jesus for advice. You see, the good news which brings great joy for all people is this. You don't have to earn your way to God because Jesus earned it for you. In fact, you can't even earn your way to God. You can't do it. But if you take hold of this gift, 
Jesus will not walk you into moderation. He won't even walk you into fanaticism. He will simply lead you into becoming passionate about making Jesus your absolute goal, your priority, your king. He will make you a life whose life orbits around Him. And when you do meet someone who has a different set of beliefs than you, when you do meet someone who doesn't live like you or believe like you, you don't hate them. You don't oppress them. You don't even shake them down and set them straight. No, you serve them. And you love them. You humble yourself like Jesus. You see, the gospel is not following advice. The gospel is following a king. And it's not a king who uses his power and authority to force a king who you do what needs to be done or to tell you what needs to be done. No, 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 no. It's a king who uses his power and his authority to do what needs to be done for you. And then he offers to give it to you as good news. My friends, this king, this king is different. And our eyewitnesses, they show us over and over again here in Mark that this king is different. And this king has different kinds of authority. Mark goes on to describe in this same chapter in verse 22 that people were amazed because he taught them as one who had authority. Now this can be confusing, but we're going to clear this up today. This word authority, it literally means Jesus taught them out of the original stuff. He taught them out of the original stuff. That's how Jesus taught them. Now here's what that is meaning. That is the same root word, authority, out of the original stuff. It's the same root word where we get the word author. Meaning, Jesus is the co-author with the Father and the Spirit. And He lived and He taught about life with original Authority. In other words, he didn't explain the meaning of, of what he was teaching like our high school English teachers uh, explained Shakespeare. No, when King Jesus was teaching and, and explaining, it, was, it would have been like listening to Shakespeare himself describe the works of his literature and what he meant by all of those things because he wrote them, right? So in this situation, they could feel Jesus explaining the story of their lives as the original author of life. As their creator. And they were dumbfounded. And they were amazed. And right after Jesus does this, then Mark reveals in, in, in verse 29, we're not going to have it on the screen, but he, he reveals even his, the, the authority of Jesus in even a bigger way, not just a spiritual authority, but they leave the synagogue and, and they go to the home of Simon and Andrew and Simon's mother-in-law is sick and Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law and she jumps up out of bed and she begins to serve them and wait on them as if she had never been sick. 
And Jesus is showing that this king has authority, not just over spiritual things, but he has authority also, this king does, over the physical world too. This king has real power and real authority over everything. And the eyewitnesses um, in Mark chapter 1 tell us over and over and over again about how this king, Jesus, has authority over human body, uh, over sickness, over disease, and everyone's amazed. And they've never seen anything like this before. Oh, this king is different. And I want you to know, That Jesus, 2,000 years later, is still saying to us, come, follow me. He says that because he says, I'm the king that you've been looking for your entire life. Who can set right in your life what went wrong. And he says, while I have the authority over everything, I humbled myself for you and I died for you and you didn't even have the right beliefs or the right behavior, but I died for you anyway. I brought you the good news. I did not bring you advice because I am your true love. I am your true life. He said, I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to save you from the dragon's tower. So come on and follow me. Now, I'm going to close with this. 150 years ago, a Christian pastor and author, his name was George MacDonald, and he wrote a children's book called The Princess and the Goblin. And he used it to explain some spiritual truths. I want to summarize some of this for you. So in this book, there's an elementary school girl. Her name is Irene. And she finds, um, Irene, she finds that every once in a while, her um, fairy godmother wants to visit her. And one time her godmother, or, or this grandmother, not godmother, her fairy grandmother, and one day this grandmother gives her a ring to put on her finger, and, but tied to that ring is a thread. And on the other end of the thread is the ball of string. And Irene looks at it. She can't see the thread because it is so fine. She can't see it, but if she puts her hand on it, she can feel it. And here's what the grandmother tells her. The grandmother tells her, if you are ever in danger, Irene, take off the ring and place it under your pillow. And then follow, place your, lay your hand, lay your finger on the thread and follow that thread wherever it leads because it will always lead you to grandmother. And as you're following that thread, don't doubt it. Don't doubt the thread. Be sure. While you hold on to the thread, know this, grandmother, I'm holding on to the other end. Now, in the story, days later, goblins get into the house. It's a fairy tale. Goblins get into the house. So she remembers. She takes the ring off that has the thread tied to it. She places the ring under her pillow, and and she begins to follow. She lays her hand on the thread. She begins to follow it, but it didn't lead her this time to the attic. This time, it led her outside of the house. And not only that, it led her towards the cave where the goblins actually lived. And now following the thread inside the cave, going deeper and deeper into the cave where all the goblins lived, she finally dead dead ends at a heap of stones. 
She says, I guess I'm going to have to follow the thread back out. And as she turns around to go backwards to follow it out, the thread vanishes because it only works in one direction moving forward. And so she sits down. She's distraught. She begins to cry. She realizes the only way through this stone barricade, I'm going to have to tear down this wall stone by stone. So she begins to tear apart that stone wall. And through bleeding fingers and hands, she pulls, pulls, pulls down every stone just enough to where she hears a voice on the other side. On the other side of that, she hears her friend. He asks, he asks, how did you find me? And she said, I, I, I think. My grandmother sent me here. And once she removes enough rocks, he jumps out of the wall and he begins to head back out of the cave. But she doesn't. She begins to crawl through the hole and head deeper into the cave. But he objects. Cardi says, wait, wait, what are you doing? That's not the way out. And she says, I know, I know. But this is the way that my thread goes. I have to follow the thread. And they follow the thread and they make it out safely. The thread proves to be trustworthy because grandmother is trustworthy. Oh, it's a great story. But let me tell you this. That was 150 years ago that that was written. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus said to his disciples, we are on our way. Follow me. And they had no idea where Jesus was going. They had no idea. In truth, they thought the king was going to be uh, something that, that where he moved from strength to strength with a movement. And they were going to overthrow the Roman Empire and set everything back to how it was when King David was reigning. Judas believed that all the way up to the kiss in the garden when he turned over Jesus. They had no idea how far they would have to go to follow Jesus. And they were far off, far, far off from the way they thought it would happen. But Jesus said, follow me. I'm going to take you on an epic adventure. And I don't want you to turn to the left. And I don't want you to turn to the right. I don't want you to turn around and go backwards. Put me first and keep trusting me and stick with me and don't give up. Turn to me in all of your disappointments. Turn to me in all of the injustices that you will face. And I'm going to take you to places where you're going to say, Jesus, why in the world are you taking me there? And even then, Jesus says, trust me. And here's the point of all of that. This path that he takes you on, it may look like one dead end after another. But the thread to Jesus doesn't work in reverse. Just obey it and move forward. It will do its work. Following the same thread that says to you, you will be dead as long as you refuse to die to yourself. I know that sounds pretty tough. It sounds rough. And it is that. It is. So we look at that and we say, well, how can we follow that thread? And we can follow it. 
Because Jesus has absolutely done everything He's asking us to do. He called the disciples away from their boats and away from their families because Jesus had already left His Father's throne. And in a very short time after He did, Jesus would be ripped from His Father's presence on the cross. And at times we look at the thread and we look where it's taking us. Places where we will get bloody. Places that are dead ends. Places that will crush you. Go backwards. Don't turn to the left and don't turn to the right. Jesus Christ's kingship won't crush you because he was crushed for you. This king followed his thread to the cross so that we can follow our thread into his arms. And Jesus said, his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. My friends, the king has arrived. And we'll pick back up with this king next week. Let's pray. Father, this king demands our all. He demands everything. He doesn't want us in the middle of acceptable. He wants everything. And I pray that we will learn to submit to this king. That we will learn to revolve our lives around him and not expect not expect others to revolve around us. As we look at this King, this Jesus,